0: Are you listening? Damn. Uh. And welcome back once again to the Endurance Hour Podcast, episode 370. Alongside Coda Coach, Wendy Mader, I'm Dave Erickson. Thanks for joining us. Great topics, great questions today, so let's get started. This is from Kathy. Hi, Wendy. I swim with my master's group three days a week, and we incorporate kick sets, and the coach... Uh, is always talking about gliding and distance per stroke. I know that you have mentioned stroke rate in previous podcasts and videos. Can you discuss the importance of stroke rate and benefits of kick sets?
1: Hey, Kathy, that's a great question that I'm a lot of times um, conversing with other athletes about. So when it comes to swimming, swimming is a technique strength sport. You develop the technique that's appropriate for you. And then you develop the strength, which when I'm talking strength, I'm talking about, you know, your catch and your pull, what's going on underwater to get stronger. And then over time you increase your stroke rate without losing technique and strength. And that's how you go faster. It's the opposite of running and cycling. Whereas running and cycling, you work on your rate or your faster cadence and then you work on pushing a bigger gear on the bike while maintaining that cadence you'll go faster and in running you increase your stride while maintaining your run cadence and that'll get you faster so it's really important first to work on the strength i don't really i don't really talk much about glide in my swim technique there is a glide there but i think that messes adults up if you talk too much about the glide I talk about the strength and extending your arm from behind. And then once that's solidified and um, it starts to get easier, meaning, you know, you're going the same pace, but it feels easier. Well, then you start to increase your arm rate without losing that strength. You will increase your arm um, number of strokes per length by a couple, but you shouldn't increase it excessively because if you do, Then you're probably spinning your wheels and not going faster because you lost that strength. Does that make sense, Dave? It does.
0: And also, you have mentioned uh, a golf or is it a score or?
1: Yeah, swimming golf. So that's where you, I like to just have athletes swim a 50, count their strokes, you know, probably a moderate, you know, a moderate pace, something that is repeatable you count your strokes and you add the number of strokes it took you to swim that 50 to your time. So let's say it took you 50 strokes and 50 seconds, then your score is 100. So just like in golf, you try to take less strokes. You can take less strokes either by actually taking less swim strokes or you can go faster. So maybe on the next 50 at that same effort, you take 48 seconds and you still take 50 arm strokes. Well, your your score is now ninety eight and so you've improved it. On the opposite end, maybe you you swim fifty seconds but take forty eight strokes, so your score is still ninety eight. You're trying to find that sweet spot where your your stroke count, you're not excessively gliding and you're actually, you know, kind of maintaining some sort of stroke count, plus or minus, you know, one or two, but you're going faster.
0: Is there a, a number that people is that's general enough? To apply to most people on how many strokes you should be taking per twenty-five.
1: Per yeah, goal. I mean when I, you know, especially when I'm when I'm doing on-deck coaching or when I'm doing a swim analysis, I count people's strokes. In a yard, twenty-five yard pool, I like them to be between like sixteen and twenty, not more than twenty-two arm strokes. Meaning left arm is one, right arm is two. That's how I'm counting. And then in a twenty-five meter pool, there's that sweet arm strokes per twenty-five obviously taking into impact the the size of the swimmer how their height and there was an article in triathlete magazine that I was quoting, and it's something about I'm going to I'm going to link it to this podcast it's about the apex and they interviewed me talking about the apex which is your 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 span of your arms all the way you know left arm's st- out and right arm straight out and how that may impact a swimmer's stroke count per 25 meter or yards. So again, I I haven't referenced this article in a while, but I'll definitely link it to the show notes because it's kind of a fun article that they quoted me in
0: this question from Eric. I'm training for the New York marathon. I struggled to run long distances, more than 13 miles uh, at a reasonably good pace and without needing to stop and catch my breath or drink some water. For example, he says "Uh, this week I ran 12 and a half miles nonstop, felt pretty good. Then I had to stop for seven minutes to take a break. After the break, I ran three more miles, but I needed to run one mile at a time and took a break for a few minutes without my pacing slowing down. Please share some tips on how to get between mile 13 and mile 26, which, yeah, you're talking about some uh, hardcore miles there.
1: Well, congratulations for getting in the New York City Marathon. I believe it's a, a time qualification as well as a lottery. So, so that's awesome. Um, hopefully you'll just go and enjoy it and finish, and that should be the number one goal. I think it's amazing. I probably, it's definitely a bucket list of mine in the last few years. So it sounds like you're trying to maybe force a pace the first 13 miles and it's maybe a little bit unrealistic and you're going too hard. The, the top two things that'll cause someone to slow down or bonk or be dehydrated is the pacing and nutrition. So it sounds like you're just starting too fast and you're not eating or drinking enough. So what I recommend is make sure you do um, a fitness test to set your training zones and that you're doing the proper training zone details, depending on the purpose of the long run for you. The purpose could be just endurance based. So making sure you're at your endurance, your current, endurance zone, whether it's pace, heart rate, or rate of perceived effort. If your goal is to do a certain pace, whether it's marathon pace, tempo pace, threshold pace, again, make sure you're doing the correct pace that matches those type of zones. So for you specifically, I'd say slow down. You definitely want to if you're up to 13 miles already and you're trying to go beyond 13 miles, keeping the same pace, number one, slow down. Number two, make sure you're carrying like some sort of hydration bottle or hydration pack and you're hydrating because if you live in a hot, humid environment, that's definitely going to impact your pace and how much you fade towards the end of a longer training session and make sure you're intaking some calories. What I first recommend is going to the New York marathon website and see what type of course nutrition they're gonna offer and start practicing with the on-course nutrition of the marathon. And I would, you know, general recommendations are gonna be you're intaking, you know, maybe up to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour. That's the recommendation for triathlon training for, for the, just the marathon. I would say, you know, you're gonna be in that 30 to 40 grams per hour to get you through the marathon. So again, it's just a matter of of starting out slower and making sure you're taking in calories because it sounds like based on his email that he didn't hydrate the first 12 and a half miles. So he had to stop and hydrate and he was already behind and then, and then he was trying to maintain the same pace. So he would, he would go a mile at the same pace and then he'd stop because it was probably just too intense. And then one other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, making sure you're, you're loaded and hydrated the day before your long run. So having a, a nice quality dinner of protein, carbohydrates, and you're hydrated going into the next day long run.
0: In all the triathletes that you coach, those you know longer endurance uh, athletes, whether it's a half Ironman or a full Ironman and the runners, where have you noticed the, the biggest sticking point for athletes? When do they have that, oh, that moment? Is it 22 miles or is it 20 miles and whether it's mental or a physical, uh, hurdle.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, again, a lot of this is, a, could be a mindset thing, um, for like an Ironman marathon, mm-hmm. you know, 16 up to 18 miles. It could start then if, if you're really, if you're experienced and you've trained, you're trained, then probably mile 22 again i'm going by my experience um sometimes i'm just shot at mile 18 sometimes i can make it to mile 22 and at that point you're like okay i got four miles left i like to break up the marathon in sections because it's a little bit mentally easier for me if I break it up into 5Ks or 5 miles or 10K sections, because I've done plenty of 5Ks, 5 milers, and 10Ks in training. So it's just a matter of saying, oh, oh, I get to do another, you know, after the first 10K. Oop, here's my other 10K. Where would I be running if this was a training run 10K? And so, yeah, there's a lot. There's a huge mental component in a marathon.
0: It's a different beast altogether, too, a different animal when you're talking about the marathon at the end of an Ironman versus the 22-mile mark. Uh, during a straight-out open marathon, because you've got you've depleted so much calories, hydration, in that first I don't know, <laughs> 10 hours of the Ironman race or 11 hours of the race. When you get to that point, we're going oh 18. I know it's only you know or 20. It's only six more miles. Yet I've been going all day and I got nothing left. Whereas hey, I've only been running for a couple of hours, and I can really you know make it for the next six miles.
1: Right. And that just reminded me of, of, again, based on Eric's goal is making sure your marathon goal pace is realistic, again, based on your current training and at your current endurance slash tempo pace. You don't want to be running your long run at your 5k pace. That's that's obviously too fast. And that's why you're not able to sustain that pace. And so making sure the, the time pace is realistic for you. Um, because a marathon, if you're, if you're going for it, like someone like me, if I were to just do a marathon, I'm going to be going at a pretty good clip. And so, you know, bonking or making it to mile 22 before you kind of start to fade or bonk is due to the intensity level. Mm. Whereas in an Ironman marathon, the intensity level is going to be a little bit lower than a competitive flat out marathon
0: does it become more mental in an Ironman then if you are at 22 miles and you only have four miles to go? Like it's not because the pace has been slower, but it's like, Oh man, I just, uh, I'm just, I'm out, I'm done. And you have to just fight through it.
1: Yes. That happened to me at Ironman Florida As I was running at a really good clip until mile 16. I started to feel it and I got to mile 18 and I was on a really, really struggle bus the last eight miles. And I remember getting to mile 22. I got passed by a female between miles 20 and 26. I kept getting passed. And mentally, it was like, oh, my gosh, I just want to walk it in. Mm. Oh, it's okay. And then I'm like, no, you don't know if they're in your age group. Keep going. Don't let anyone in your age group pass you. And it was really just a self-talk. I mean, I, I'm i pretty good at self-talk because I've been doing this a long time. But it's a lot of mental Demons can can really get you those last four to six miles
0: Good question Next up. Hey, coach Wendy. My knee's been bothering me on the bike for the past three months first It was just right leg and now it's both legs both knees I got another bike fit last month and started physical therapy and they mentioned it's stemming from my hips my bike fitter suggested new bike shoes and now I'm thinking about going back to riding my old bicycle what are your thoughts on this situation?
1: Again, a great question and something I have a lot of experience with. Um, especially going from riding a road bike for 16 or 17 years to my first tri bike in 2009. I had some fit issues um, because it's just it was just a different type of fit. It was normally it was normally I feel it in my hips and my hamstrings. so my knees have always been healthy. So I think you know you did the right thing by going to get refit. And even if, you know, especially because it was a new bike, um, definitely it takes time to dial in the fit of a new bike frame, especially if it's a different model. Um, As far as shoes go, you know, again, I'm not the expert on cycling shoes, but something I'd also recommend is checking your pedals. So because you're riding a different bike, because you mentioned going back to riding your old bike, maybe if, if you switched brands of pedals, that could definitely impact your knees as well as, um, bike fit. So, um, check your shoes, check your pedals. If you're just not getting comfortable and, and, you know, definitely try your old bike and kind of do a comparison. And as far as your hip go, hips go, I'm not surprised because most triathletes and runners have weak hips, weak glute medius, and tight hip flexors and everything's connected. So that can definitely be irritating your knees.
0: When I recently purchased a road bike, there was a different fit uh, or at least pedal stroke uh, technique that I was advised to start doing on a road bike versus a tri bike because the the geometry or where the, the foot sits on the pedal mm-hmm. and where the knee sits over the foot. And that was a, a big eye-opener for me on how much power you can generate based on the position on the bike. Now, f- there was also an adjustment that the, the bike fitter was making on the angle of my heel versus my toe or that type of alignment. Mm -hmm. And so those kind of things will all, um, line up to your hip. So if one thing's off, you know, you're off center a little bit or you're not aligned correctly. I can see how that would easily, uh, not just mess with your knees, but also your hip. And then you're going to have some back issues probably as well with how you're all positioned. So I don't know if it's the new bike shoes. It could just be the alignment of the shoes and where on the, um, The the forefoot of your, the the, under the um, under your, where your toes are. What part of that foot is that called? The yeah, forefoot, ball of your foot. Yeah, wherever that may be, it could be too far forward, could be too far back. Depends on where that is positioning. Small small adjustments can make a big difference on where the shoes are placed or the cleats are placed. Not necessarily the shoes, but the cleats.
1: Yeah, totally. And I understand because, you know, again, I, I rode a road bike. It was my body was used to a road bike. So when I went to tri bike, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going back to my road bike. So I understand that the want and the desire to go back to the bike that didn't give you any issues. And um, it just, you know, sometimes this stuff just takes time.
0: And he was also telling me that you can generate more power because of how your position is on the road bike versus a tri bike because of the, uh you know, the, the angle of your hips to your knees on you're sitting too much forward on the tri bike because of your angle of attack you'd say versus Mm -hmm. sitting more upright where you can generate more power force going down on a road bike which is like oh my gosh no wonder because i was concerned hey should i put a power meter on this road bike will i notice a difference will i be able to go faster or will it be harder because i'm not in an aero position and then so he was kind of educating me on that i can't fully explain it but i understand the differences uh, between the two good question next up from Sean he says here you and Dave discussed sweat rate and salt tabs weighing yourself before and after training sessions to determine if you are a heavy sweater or not and I lost 3% of my body weight during a two hour ride and paid attention to my clothes that were covered in white after the fact any tips on taking salt or electrolytes uh, pills versus tablets and and how often
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, the good, you know, congratulations, you implemented the test, you found out you're sweaty. You found out that you, you sweat a lot. You lose weight when you sweat and you have a lot of sodium in your sweat by the nature of, you know, kind of being covered in white. Um, now I had a sweat rate test back in 2007 at the Gatorade Sports Science Institute. And I found out that I did not have a lot of sodium in my sweat and I get enough Um, what I need in in the Gatorade while I'm racing. So um, I'm not experienced with salt tabs as far as like how much and how often, just based on other athletes I coach. If you're a heavy sweater, um, you might want to consider taking one or two tablets. And I'm just familiar with the tablets every, maybe every half hour. And see how your body responds to that. Make sure you you implement this in your training, you know, even just a two-hour ride and longer. Maybe you want to start doing this for our workouts as well. And I also um, have tablets of noon, which are, they don't have calories in them. They're just um, electrolytes, various electrolytes. I don't remember which kind are in there, but that's what I use in my water bottles the last two years, and that's worked really well for me. And so... You know, I would just, you know, redo your test. I would weigh yourself before and after while implementing taking, you know, maybe two to four salt tabs an hour and see, see if you lose weight or see, you know, if, if if you're still coming off salty.
0: Yeah. And that's a, that's a real concern on some of those hotter races, whether you're a triathlete or you're a runner on when you're getting that and what your body craves. I mean, you, you say you're into pretzels, right? When you're on some of these yeah. runs.
1: During the marathon, oh, it's all about, I'm all about pretzels. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just they're. They, I, I like to chew. Um, sometimes I just kind of suck on them, and so they melt in my mouth. And I'm really getting it for the sodium, and um, it's not sugar. and yeah. so my body does well with that.
0: Yeah, these sweat tests are super important to know how your body responds to extra heat, and the same thing can be said for, you know, the absorption of you know. These blood tests are so so amazing on, oh, I didn't realize that I need so much more water because I'm losing so much at a certain rate, and then there is the salt as well. So you could be a heavy sweater, um, but I, you know, I find that if I'm having the right nutrition leading up to it, for me, I don't need to add extra salt if you're having the type of foods that kind of replace right.
1: that. Right, so it goes back to there's more to your nutrition than just what you're doing in the moment, in the training or the racing, it has to do with what you're doing the days beforehand. Yeah.
0: And of course, the, the weather conditions are always going to be uh, that, that variable that you can't really predict. And on the day, hopefully, your training is going to be okay, but then you adapt. That's why we have plan A, plan B, yeah. plan C. And rarely does plan A ever be the only plan that you work with. You always have a contingency and then it's it on the swims. On the swim? is it a contingency is in the transition. There's so many. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so crazy. Good question, Sean. This one from Judy. I finished my final race of the season, and that was Ironman Alaska, which we we touched on a few episodes ago. And she took the past two weeks off. And now, she says, I'm feeling like I want to get back into a training groove despite not having any events planned until next spring. That's a long time. Any thoughts about what I should do in the meantime?
1: Oh, um, great question. Did you say her name was Judy? Judy, yes. Yeah. So, you know, again, you know, we're talking, we're kind of talking a little bit on off season, out of season. The best time for your out of season, off season is after your final race. And by taking two weeks off, it sounds like you're a little bit familiar of, of taking some recovery time. And, you know, what, you know, what do you, what do you want to do? I think it's always best when we're in this kind of odd time frame off season out of season is to you know try maybe you try something new a new activity a new sport maybe you join if you're if you don't swim with a group maybe you join a group masters swim program or if you don't really ride or run with groups maybe you want to ride or run, join a riding or running group just to you know make training a little bit more social maybe you want to if you're not normally strength training maybe you want to hit the gym and if you hit the gym or a health club, there's a lot of um, fun activities you can do to to just do some different activity, a Pilates class, yoga class, aerobics class, um, bar class, you know, there's so many different types of, of group fitness classes offered in various health clubs. And so I think the most important thing is um, not to hit it hard like you were training for Ironman Alaska, but, you know, you just... You you find something that you enjoy and and you don't force yourself to do it. Like if if you wake up in the morning and you feel like going for a run, go for a run, but don't set your alarm to wake you up to go for a run. It's still a little bit early to do that. You're still recovering from Ironman Alaska. It's only been a couple weeks. And, you know, if you haven't already, make sure you map out your training for your spring 2023 event. And so how long you know, depending on the event distance and your goal, how long is that event? How long are you going to really specifically prepare for that event? And then you start to kind of work backwards and maybe, maybe you're going to start training for that event. Let's just say it's an Ironman um, in November and your spring event is in April. Well, November's right around the corner. It's not that far away. And so you don't have that long of a period of time until you start to get into more focused training.
0: And there's always the option of going off-road, whether it's trail running or mountain biking. yeah. And that way you're still in a training groove. And one thing I was thinking about, which I did a few days ago, is I did it on purpose. I went for a run with no music. I've done this a couple of times recently. And it's like this is kind of a a nice freeing feeling where it's just the sounds of the outdoors. Um, Or, Judy, you can not record your data and free your mind of, Uh Uh, what you've been doing for so many months of keeping track of my pace, my calories, my power, and so on. And just go. Just go outside and and just enjoy and, and don't have a limit. Don't have a time limit or a time frame if you have that kind of luxury. Just go. But I think maybe changing the pace or changing, I'm sorry, the uh, your surroundings, uh, the atmosphere, that it doesn't have to be on the pavement, doesn't have to be on the treadmill, doesn't have to be in the pool, just go somewhere else, but continue doing something active that uh, makes you feel good. And one more thing, uh, if you are focusing on a, you want to focus on a certain sport, uh, we've got, and this is a plug for us, but we've got specific plans that you can focus on just your cycling workouts or just your swimming workouts or just some run specific training if that's one of your weaker areas that you want to build up or bring the same level of the other two sports, for example, before you hit the next uh, spring season. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think that's I think that's really solid advice. You know, I think just the main thing is allow yourself to be free and not force anything and not not jump into a training plan right away. But mm-hmm. but think about what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and just you know think about your goals and your desires and what you want to do.
0: And Wendy, what is what is your take? What is your personal uh, practice on listening to headphones? And if you do listen to something, what do you listen to when you you train?
1: I don't, I don't listen to anything cause I like the sound of nature. Uh-huh. If I ride my bike indoors, I will listen to some podcasts, um, on my computer. I don't, I don't put anything in my ears. This is the only time I have things touching my ears. Uh-huh. Um, and then outdoors, I just like my surroundings and I don't like anything in my ears. Back in the day, we're talking 20, 25 years ago, I used to carry a, a big, um, walkman. Uh-huh. It was it was one of those waterproof, resistance, fat, yellow Walkmans. I used to carry it in my back pocket and listen to music. 80s, you know, Erasure, I know U2, you know, just to name a few of my favorites. But the 80s bands while I did, you know, what I'd go for Ironman training, you know, four, five, six hour rides. And back then, I lived in Colorado, there wasn't many, as much traffic. It seemed like it was just a lot safer back then, and I never felt that I was doing something wrong by listening to music while I was out on the country roads. I would never do that again. I would never do it at this day, this time because there's just so much more traffic and car and bike um, incidents lately. So, so yeah, I just, you know, part of the reason I like to go outside is just to focus on, you know, what's going on in my mind, me, myself, and I, and it's enjoyable for me.
0: I've been using the over-the-ear uh, bone-conducting headphones. That way there's nothing plugging my ear, uh, AirPods or headphones. Uh, that way I can hear extra noises while I'm still able to hear some music.
1: Mm-hmm. And they,
0: they don't fall off. It's you know Bluetooth to my phone. So if the phone's in a pack uh, around my waist or something like that, um, I, I do that. And I'll listen to music. And every once in a while, I'll listen to a podcast. But when I run, I want the, the rhythm of a beat uh-huh. uh, to go. But you know, I used to listen to a podcast or or an audio book, but I find that if I listen to an audio book, I'm not able to focus on if it's, you know, something's self help or, you know, a good story. I want to hear that. So it's kind of like when uh, I want to work out, but am I able to really focus on the message? For example, that's where the music just lets me go.
1: Exactly. There's certain podcasts that I, that I listen to if I'm in the gym, like if I'm lifting weights, there's certain podcasts I prefer to listen to. So that I'm not, that I don't want to like take notes on. And then there's certain podcasts that I'm not doing anything, but I'm focused on the podcast because I like to take notes.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. I do too. It's kind of, yeah. Very good. Well, that's going to wrap up uh, the questions that we have uh, for this episode. I want to encourage you to check out our endurance uh, T2 endurance group on Facebook. Wendy posted a question of the day and it is uh, how do you define what it means to be a triathlete? And so I looked over some of those uh, those answers, and it's like, oh, I like that. It's, some people were writing balance, uh, perseverance. Obviously, you swim, bike, and run, and that makes you a triathlete. Um, one person I thought was funny: "We are not normal. We are better than normal." That's what how they define uh, a triathlete. So that was. Now, what do you say? Do you say triathlete or multi sport athlete? What do you? I mean, triathletes more commonly understood, but multi sport seems to be a little inside baseball. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I'm um, a multi-sport, you know, I just had this conversation with a swimmer, a youth swimmer that I coach yesterday because she's getting, you know, she's going to take a break from swimming and try out rowing. Oh. And she thought I was going to be the coach that said, no, you can't do that. You have to swim. And I started by telling her, you know, i am i am a, I'm a multi-sport athlete, so I'm, I'm all for you swimmers to be experimenting with other sports because I want you all to be multi-sport athletes. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, I think I use the term more of a multi-sport athlete rather than triathlete.
0: Oh, I like that because I know with you, I mean, trail running is, is thrown into there. Yeah. Uh, ultras is thrown into there. Mm-hmm. I loved it when you were into, uh, and did those, those swim run events where you swam and you also ran and then you, it was like multiple times. What, yeah. A swim I have, run? I ha-
1: it's called a swim run, and I'm doing one in at the end of October. Swim run. Oh. Um, it's the last one they're having. It's in uh, Carolina, North North South Carolina, North Carolina, uh-huh. and um, it's the first swim run I've ever heard of. My husband and I signed up for that one, I think, in 2018, and we never did it. And so our first swim run was in Tennessee and they only had the swim run in Tennessee one year. And then the last, you know, after 2020 and 2021, we were trying to do swim run Georgia, but it was canceled due to the pandemic and then it was canceled due to weather. And so those are my favorite. Those are so much fun. That's exciting. Multi-sport. Yeah. I'm a multi-sport athlete.
0: Definitely. I think, I think, I I think. And I've
1: done a Spart, I've done a obstacle course race.
0: I think I may have seen pictures of that.
1: Yeah. Were you muddy? That was a savage race. That ah, was muddy, yeah. Okay.
0: Well, that will officially wrap up this episode then. So join the T2 Endurance Group on Facebook, join that conversation, and we'll see you there. Uh, until next week, for Coach Wendy Mater, I'm Dave Erickson. Have a great week of training, racing, or recovery. We'll see you next time. Adios.
1: Adios. <laughs>